This week, this last week, Suzanne said something. We were driving in the car. We were talking about um, situations in the world, in people's lives, and she just said this to me. She said, sin stinks. And I agree. Sin stinks. We're going to talk about sin today. Sin. What is it? What is sin? What's missing the mark? That's what the real definition of sin is, missing the mark. It's deliberate wrongdoing. That's what sin is. Sin is real. Sin is everywhere. And sin is serious. So I agree with Suzanne. Sin stinks. It causes enormous pain in our world. God never designed the world to have sin in it. Mankind chose to sin. And because we chose to sin, sin has embraces the world. One day sin will be destroyed, but um, sin is rampant in our world, and it stinks. You know, man chose to sin. Um, man's choice to sin is what caused humankind to flee, be forced from this beautiful, loving relationship with God in the garden, and instead follow the way of Satan. That's all because of sin. Sin is what destroyed the relationship between God and man, and between man and man, and between man and woman. And sin is why some of you had an argument on the way to church today, and then put on a happy face and walked in the door. I know it happened, because it happens with us. Not every day, not all the time, but it does happen. Some of you, sin affected your morning before you got here. Sin, say it with me, sin stinks. Sin stinks. Sin is what caused God himself to have to come as one of us. That's who Jesus is. God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the Son of God, to come to planet Earth as one of us and as one of us live a sinless, sinless life and then die and rise again to break the curse of sin and death. In the very beginning, God said to humankind, if you sin, basically, he's talking about the, in the garden, if you eat it, God gave them rules, gave them one rule, don't eat from that tree. If you eat it, you will die. There will be a curse that comes upon all mankind of sin and death. So Jesus, the sinless, with his sinless life, came and gave his life, died and rose again. That's the resurrection. And by that, he broke the curse of sin and death. You see, sin is a big deal. Even if our culture today tries to minimize sin or tries to even say this, sin isn't real. There's no such thing. It's just choices. They're wrong. Sin is real. So I talk about sin today. You go, Pastor Mark... There's about 150 other things I would rather have you talk about today than sin, right? Right. Why? Because as we continue to look at the life of Joseph, which we're in this series, looking at ordinary men, ordinary people with an extraordinary God, we've been going through the, the life of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. We're on the last one, Joseph. And as we look at the life of Joseph, one of the things we see is that sin is ever-present and that sin is destructive, we're going to see that, but we're going to see something else. We're going to see that sin need not have the last word. 
That sin need not win. Sin need not have the last word. So think of the many ways sin affected Joseph's story. Now, last week we took the time to actually, I told you I did three chapters of Genesis in three minutes. And I went through the overview of Joseph's entire life. We're not going to do that again today. A lot of us know Joseph's story. If not, just, just trust me that I'm telling you events from Joseph's story. Think of the many ways sin affected Joseph's story. Think of this, the sin of pride. And it, it, So Joseph, as a young man, has these dreams. These dreams that, that he's cutting wheat and his, pot, his, his, his bundle of wheat stands up and every, all his brothers and sisters' bundles of wheat or brothers or bow down to him. He's a, a, a um, dream that the stars and the moon and of, um, the sun all bow down to him. And he's telling his brothers, hey, guess what? I'm having these dreams. And they're all going, really? We're all going to bow to you? So it's, it, in a sense, it's pride saying, look, this is what's going to happen. How about the sin of envy? Joseph's brothers had the envy in their hearts because their father favored him over the rest of them. How about the sin of of insensitivity to others. Um, think of that. Um, Jacob, the father, so favored one child that all the other child, children hated him. Dad didn't do a good job there. Parenting 101. You don't let all the other kids, you don't say, this is my favorite and all of you are second class. That's sin. It's foolishness. How about lying? His brothers told Jacob, the father, that an animal had killed Joseph, when instead they had actually sold him off into slavery. How about the sin of broken promises in his life? When he was in prison, and he interprets the dreams of the cupbearer and the baker, and he interprets them, and, and the cupbearer is released from prison, the baker's killed, and he says, remember me to Pharaoh, and he just forgets about him. Breaks his promise. Now, years later, he does remember, but he rotted in jail for a whole bunch of years in the meantime. How about the, the sin of false accusations? When Potiphar's wife accused Joseph of trying to sexually assault her, and he ends up in prison. Pretty big deal. Sin stinks. But maybe the biggest sin of all in his story, chapter 37 of Genesis, says this. Judah, this is one of his brothers, says to his brothers, the other ten brothers, what profit is it, it was in it for us to kill our brother? This is when they had thrown um, Jacob, uh, Joseph into the pit, and they were going to kill him. What profit is it for us to kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites. So they take their brother who's in a pit, they pull him out, they tie him up, and they sell him to a caravan of Ishmaelites who's heading to Egypt. What sins involved there? Greed as well as lying, hatred, deception, sin, 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 sin stinks. Sin permeates Joseph's entire story, and sin permeates our entire stories. So today I want to talk about sin, but not about how horrible and destructive it is, because I don't have to convince you of that. We know that it's horrible and destructive. Rather, I want to talk about how sin need not have the last word in our stories. Because I don't, God, God, God has made a way for sin to not destroy us. It didn't destroy Joseph. Although he was so hurt by the sins of others, he was able to move on, to forgive, and to get better. And that's what God wants for all of us. Now, to begin today to understand sin, and so it does not get the last word in our lives, 
I think that there's a false narrative that we have to deal with as Christ followers that many of us believe. It seems to me that many Christians, and for years myself included, fail to grasp that their sin has been totally and completely forgiven through Christ. Our sin, which is our nature at birth, and then made up of the many times that we miss the mark and continue to miss the mark, even after we come to know Jesus as Savior, has been forgiven. Removed as far as the east is from the west, it says. Paul, the apostle, was explaining this in his second letter to the church in Corinth when he wrote this. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun, and all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, and listen to this, no longer counting people's sins against them. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. What I find is that for Christ followers, for us, this display of the grace of God is so extreme that we, even as Christians, often fail to believe that it is true. That God is no longer counting people's sins against them. That God is not keeping a record of every time you miss the mark. In Christ, your sin is forgiven and you are a new person not defined by sin anymore. Now, some of you are freaking out right now and I'm telling you just hold your seat. More is coming. See, I think the failure to grasp that we are totally forgiven stems from our holding on to the old covenant. See, the Bible itself shows you there's two covenants. There's an Old Testament and a New Testament. One is called the Old Covenant. One is called the New Covenant. The Old Covenant is the way God dealt with Israel through all their sacrificial system. Jesus came, fulfilled that, and now there's a New Covenant that everybody can live under if they come to Christ. So I think our failure to grasp that there are that we are totally forgiven stems from our holding on to Old Testament theology, Old Covenant theology, even though we now live under the New Covenant, which is described in the New Testament. See, almost every time I serve communion, and I will later today, almost every time I read from what the Apostle Paul wrote in his first letter to the church at Corinth. And in writing about communion, he says this, This cup, dealing with the the cup we hold, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. You see, Jesus is letting, is explaining that he has fulfilled the old covenant completely and has begun a new covenant. And a covenant means an agreement, a new agreement between him and and mankind. He started a new agreement. Under the old covenant, the old agreement, people's sins were simply covered up each year on the day of atonement. And if you know your Old Testament, you understand that what it was like. An animal was sacrificed by the high priest once a year to cover over the sins of the people for another year. 
And then the next year, what would happen on the Day of Atonement? The priest would have to do it again to cover over, kind of roll their sins forward for a year, cover it over for another year. But Jesus comes and creates a new covenant where Jesus totally fulfilled the old covenant by once and for all, one time offering the perfect sacrifice for the sins of mankind, which was his own sinless self. At that, a new covenant was established, one where repeated sacrifices were no longer needed for sin because the curse of sin had been broken through Christ when he, was, when he lived, died, and rose from the grave. So Jesus now does what the old covenant could not do. Jesus takes away man's sin. He doesn't just cover it up. That's what the old covenant did. Under the new covenant, he takes it away. That's why when John the Baptist saw Jesus, he said something that all the old covenant Jews could not get their heads around. He said this, Behold, the Lamb of God, who does what? Takes away the sins of the world. The Gospel of John, first chapter, 29th verse. Jesus does what an animal sacrifice could not do. He doesn't just cover over sin. He takes away sins. Friends, this is the power of the cross. One time, Jesus was sacrificed for all people. One time for all sins of all people for all time. So when someone comes to Christ, honestly comes to Christ as Savior and Lord, and that's between the person and God, to know if it's genuine, do they honestly come to Jesus as Savior and Lord, then it says all their sins are forgiven. But we have a hard time with that because we like to hold on to the old covenant. So now, after we have come to Christ as Savior and we've had our sins forgiven... When we now sin, and we do, anybody in here not sin after they came to Christ? We're all guilty. What we like to do is we reach back to the old covenant theology, and we try to offer another sacrifice to God for our sin. Now, we don't sacrifice a bull or a sheep. What we do, the sacrifice we do is we get on our knees and we beg and we plead God to forgive us again. Our version of a sacrifice. Oh, God, just forgive me. Forgive me again. But friends, under the new covenant, we need not do that because our sins are forgiven. Now, before you freak out, and some of you are, admit it. Do you say this, what about, pastor, what about, what about, what about? We're going to get there. Understand something. We do need to still go to God when we sin. And we do need to confess our sins. But it's not for forgiveness. It's for healing. What I mean by healing is this. It's about getting better. It's about moving past sin. It's about changing. It's about going and sinning no more. When the woman was caught in adultery, and Jesus, you know the whole story, all the guys eventually dropped their rocks who were going to kill her, and Jesus says, neither neither do I condemn you. He didn't leave it there. He said, now go and sin no more. He said, stop sinning. I want you to think about something. How, how real this really is. Think about the case of Peter. After he had denied even knowing Jesus three times while Jesus was being arrested and questioned. Jesus had told Peter in advance, before that happened, 
that it would happen. And he told them what to do after it happened. Before the event ever took place where Jesus, where Peter denied Jesus three times on the night when he was betrayed, Jesus said this to Peter. After Peter had said, I'll die for you. He goes, no, you won't. This is what he said. He eventually did. Church history says he eventually was crucified upside down for his faith because he refused to be crucified in the same manner his Lord was. They crucified him upside down. But even before that took place, Jesus said this to Peter. Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. Now that just kind of blows my, my mind away, you know. Satan is demanding to destroy this person. So you think you don't have an enemy? You don't think there's an enemy against your marriage and against your life? Jesus, you can trust Jesus. Jesus says, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you. Look at what it says. That your faith may not fail. His faith is intact. And you, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Look at what Jesus does not say. He does not say, after you commit this huge sin, and friends, I hadn't thought of it before until I was thinking about it for the sermon. I can't think of a more, a more horrendous sin ever, created by, ever um, committed by anybody except for Judas, who literally still, but it's in line with that. Judas actually sold Jesus for silver, but Peter denies his faith. Three times, you are that, your, your, your voice, your, the way you speak shows that you're one him. You're a Galilean. I don't even know who you're talking about. I don't know the guy. Never heard of the guy. Jesus who? He completely denies Christ. And we're going to say, what's the big one? What's the big sin? The big sin is you denied Christ. You can't get any bigger. So look what Jesus does not say. He does not say, after you sin, get on your knees and beg me to forgive you. That's not what he says. That's old covenant thinking. You sin, every time you sin, you have to do another sacrifice. No, Jesus says, after you do sin, turn again. The New Living Translation says, the right word really here, repent. Repent means to change direction. Jesus said, there's there's something you have to do. You have to repent. You need to change direction. Stop doing what you're doing. And then look what he says. I think this is amazing. And go strengthen your brothers. He says, get on with the ministry that I've called you to. See, Jesus isn't looking for Peter to seek forgiveness. He is looking for him to change. That's what he's looking for. He's looking for Peter to change. It's the same thing as the woman caught in adultery. Okay, you did it. I'm not going to condemn you. I'm not counting people's sins against you. Now stop sinning. Go and sin no more. That's what he says. Jesus never even hints that his relationship with Peter was damaged. He says, I have prayed that your faith would stand. He doesn't talk about his faith being questioned. In fact, knowing what he's going to do and he's going to deny him, the, the cardinal sin, he says, I'm going to put you in charge of the entire ministry. When I'm dead and I'm resurrected, now go take care of the brethren. The only, there's 10 of them left. Judas is gone. Peter's denied him. 10 other ones. And Jesus puts him in charge of the entire 
ministry, take care of the other disciples. He says that before he ever did it. Do we still sin after coming to Jesus and having our sins forgiven? Yes, we do. And when we do, we come to God and we confess and repent. Confess. Why do we confess? We still confess our sins. Why? It brings our sin to the light, and in doing so, the power of sin is broken and diminished. Here's what happens. You have secret sin. Secret sin is something you hide in the dark. It's powerful. When you confess it to somebody else, why do you think James says if you want to be healed, come and confess your sins one to another and you will be healed? It breaks the power of sin that darkness holds. So if we confess it to break its power, but then we don't just say, well, I confess my sin. That doesn't work that way. We confess and then we repent. We change direction. We move more toward being like Jesus. We move more toward getting better, meaning more Christ-like. We go and sin no more. See, it's not really about forgiveness when you come to Christ. We are forgiven. It's about becoming more like Jesus, about developing into holy people and going and sinning no more. That's what the new covenant enables us to become. Because sin has been broken and forgiven. Jesus has done for for us what a sacrifice of a bull could never do. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And friends, that's good news. We are forgiven in Christ. We need to accept that and we need to cherish it. Now, some of you relaxed a little bit when I said you got to confess and repent. The rest of you are going to relax a little bit when I say this. Are there ramifications for our sins that we do even after we come to Christ? Say this with me. Say, absolutely. Absolutely there are, yes. And some of those ramifications will have lifelong painful consequences. You all know it. Something happened 30 years ago. And the ripple effects still affect your family today. Fill in the blank what those things are. 30, 40 years ago it was done, and there's still ramifications today. It's not that it's not forgiven. It's that sin stinks, and sin is real, and sin causes real hurt. So there are ramifications for our sin, and some of them have very lifelong painful consequences, and... There will be eternal consequences that will, listen, friends, be determined by God. Here's one of the things we have to get. The eternal consequences are determined by God, not by me. Not by you. They're determined by God. Scripture says something really uh, really interesting at one point. It says, it's a terrible thing to fall into the hands of a, li- of, of a living God. That's New Testament. That's not Old Testament. That's New Testament. There will be eternal consequences determined by God. Paul, quoting him a lot today, right? Again, writing to the church in Corinth says this, for we must, he's writing to Christians, for we must all, say all, all, that means me, that means you, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed or 
dealt with accordingly for the deeds in this body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. We will all stand before God. There will be judgment in eternity for our sins. Yet that judgment is not about forgiveness. It's not about salvation if you're a believer. In Christ, you are saved and forgiven if you're really in Christ. But sin will still have consequences. Is this making sense so far? Now, I would say this. If you grasp this, this is the most freeing thing you'll ever get in Christ. Because a lot of us cling on to Old Testament thinking so much that every time something goes wrong, we think we're, we're groveling before God to forgive us again. God has forgiven you. He wants you to confess and repent. He's like, listen, I don't want you to come and keep begging me for forgiveness. I did it already. He's like, what I want you to do is change. And what he's saying is, I've empowered you to change. We'll get to that in a minute. I've empowered you to change. So change. Don't make excuses. We're in Christ. We can do all things in Christ. Him who strengthens me. Now, this brings me to one final thought that I need to discuss today. As forgiven people, now we're shifting gears here. How do we forgive others? As forgiven people, this amazing forgiveness that's almost too much for us to believe is possible. How do we forgive others? Yes, in Christ, I'm forgiven by God, and I know that. Newsflash. I'm not God. You're not God. So yes, God forgives, but I'm not God. How do we forgive, especially when we have been hurt so deeply by someone else's actions? First of all, I want to in no way try to make this sound trite. Easy. So what I'm saying, I'm not trying to be trite. Some of you have been deeply wounded. Deeply, deeply wounded because people's sin against you. But I do believe we can forgive when we've been hurt. And I believe the answer to how we do this lies in this phrase. Forgive as I have been forgiven. Forgive and explain it. Forgive as I have been forgiven. As we grasp the magnitude of what God has done for us by totally and completely forgiving our sins, what we get to do and he wants us to do is to re narrate or rethink of this, our life differently, the story of our life differently, re-narrate our lives in the context of the big picture of what Jesus has done by forgiving people and what Jesus has done by, in the big picture of even forgiving his enemies when he died for them. Scripture says, Something amazing. When we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When we were his enemies, he died for us. The big picture of what God has done for humanity is that he forgives even those who are his enemies. He forgives his enemies. Now when we come to Christ, our lives are now grafted into his And we become part of his story. When I baptize people, they're right here. And what do I say with them? I say, why do we immerse in water according to the biblical example? 
because we are being grafted into Christ. And it says we are with Christ in his life, death, we bury you, and resurrection. That you are now symbolically in, because you are, this is a symbol of what has already happened, you are now in Christ, engrafted into his life. Water baptism speaks to the fact that when we come to Christ, we are now in Christ. Our lives are now grafted into his. And one of those enemies that he has forgiven, we're in Christ. One of the enemies that he's forgiven is me. One of the enemies of God that he's forgiven is you. And when we realize that he has forgiven me, and when you realize he has forgiven you, I then in response can forgive others, even my enemies, because I'm grafted in Christ and I'm doing what he has done to me. And Jesus taught about this in a parable. And I want us to look at the parable. Open your Bibles to Matthew 18. Because this parable, I think, can change your life. Matthew 18, starting in verse 21. It says, Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, isn't this funny? Peter asked this question. Peter's the one who's going to literally deny Christ and be, seek forgiveness. And he says this, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? And Jesus said, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 77, seven times seven. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began to settle them, one of them owed him 10,000 talents, which would be millions of dollars in today's, millions of dollars. 10,000 talents was brought to him. Some people think over a billion dollars. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had and repayment be made. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him saying, have patience with me and I'll repay you everything. And the Lord of the slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii, which is about 20 bucks. And he seized him and he began to choke him, saying, pay back what you owe me. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, have patience with me and I'll repay you. But he was unwilling and went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what he owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his Lord moved with anger handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. And my heavenly father, this is Jesus talking, hard to swallow right here, and my heavenly father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from his heart. Jesus is teaching here about forgiveness. How many times do I have to forgive? The first slave was forgiven millions and he put another slave in prison for 20 bucks. 
The point is this. Hear me today. The point is this. We are all the first slave. That's the point he's trying to make. We are all the first slave in relationship to God. We're all the ones who owe a billion dollars and can't repay. We are all the first slave in relationship to God. He has forgiven us this immense debt that we could never pay. We can't pay for our sin debt. He's forgiven us. That literally cost him his life. We could never repay such a gift. The gift of Christ's life is priceless. You can't put billions on it. It's priceless. God died to pay for our sins. It's priceless. Now, others do hurt us. And in our minds, they owe us. They do. They hurt us deeply. But here's the point of this parable. In comparison to God forgiving us, what someone can do to us is small in comparison. Now, I'm not trying to in any ways mitigate or minimize the pain somebody's caused you. I'm not. I'm trying, please hear my heart. I'm, not trying, I'm trying to help today. Help if you can't seem to forgive. Here's what Jesus is trying to say. What it cost you, what it cost God to forgive you was billions. And even if somebody does the worst heinous thing to you, it's 20 bucks in comparison. That's what he's trying to say here. It's small in comparison. And the point is this. When we realize how amazing it is that God forgives us, that we are the one who owes Twenty owes billions. We are the first slave. Every one of us is the first slave. When we realize how amazing it is that God forgives us and what it cost him to forgive us, everything else is small by comparison. So what do we do? We re-narrate our lives understanding that we are just a gift of grace and that God has forgiven us everything. And in comparison to that, we then forgive others. We forgive as we have been forgiven. Now, that's the theology behind the offering of forgiveness. That's the theology. But there's still emotion, right? There's still pain. There's still hurt. It's still hard. So here's some really good news if you're trying to forgive. Jesus isn't only our pattern for forgiveness, when we follow after, he's our pattern. That's what we've been talking about. He's our pattern. He forgave us a billion, so we forgive somebody 20 bucks. He's not only the pattern of forgiveness. His pattern is, you're my enemy and I'm going to die for you. That's the pattern. He's not only the pattern of forgiveness, but he's also the empowerment we need to forgive. Remember we talked about water baptism? We're engrafted in Christ. We're in Christ. Jesus lives in us by his spirit. And this is what he wants to do. He wants to forgive through you. He wants to forgive through us. It's not up to our abilities. It's up to allowing him, asking him to forgive through us. He is the strength inside of you to do what you cannot do on your own. That's the gift of the new covenant. He can do through you and in you what you cannot do on your own. He lives inside of you. So, we ask Jesus to forgive through us.
He's our pattern. We see what he's done. We say, God, I want to be like that, but I'm just having a hard time. I'm struggling. I've been hurt so deeply. And we say, Jesus, inside of me, help me to do Help me to live out what you've already shown me is possible. And here's the thing, all things are possible through Christ. And he helps you to forgive. So we ask him to forgive. And in that way, sin does not have the last word. In that way, sin does not have the last word. So friends, as we wrap up, here's the reality. Sin what? Sin stinks. Sin's a big deal. It's a big deal. So big that Jesus came to deal with the problem on the cross, offering us total forgiveness from sin. So in Christ, what can we do? We can live in the freedom of knowing we are forgiven totally. We can move past through sin through confession and repentance. And we can forgive others if we have been forgiven because Jesus dwells in us to do what we can't do on our own. Now, I can't think of a better way to close than by taking communion together. Why don't you grab your cups? It's a reminder of what it costs us, what it, what it costs to offer us complete and total forgiveness. That's one of the things that communion's about. It's a reminder of what it cost so that we could have complete and total forgiveness. If anybody does not have a communion cup, if you raise up your hand, the ushers will get you one. It's a reminder that we need forgiveness and that the only way it could happen is this reminds us of that. Reminds us of the death on the cross, broken body, shed blood. It's a reminder that under the new covenant, we are completely forgiven in Christ. One sacrifice for all time, for all mankind. That's exactly what the scriptures say. So let's take the bread. Plastic off the top and take out the bread. Friends, this is Jesus' body broken for you. What's the scripture say? It's his body broken for you. And he is here with us, with you right now. And what he wants to do by giving us something tangible to hold is say, I'm not far away. I'm literally as close as the bread that you eat. I'm in you. I'm, you're in Christ. So Jesus, thank you for giving yourself to rescue us from sin. Help us in this moment as we hold this bread that you said, this is my body that we recognize it's talking about your body that was broken for us. You died on the cross. Help us to see how enormous of a payment you made for us, that we are all the first slave that owes a billion dollars and that don't have a nickel to pay it back with, that we're bound and lost without you, but in you, you came to break the curse of sin and death. Help us to see the enormity of what you've done to us. Because sometimes, Lord, we think, well, I wasn't all that bad. Help us to see it's not about being so bad. It was simply being a sinner, born a sinner, which made us an enemy of, of you. But that you came for your enemies 
came for your enemies to forgive sin. Let's take the bread. Let's partake of it together. Thank you, Jesus. That even though we're the en- we were your enemies, you make us one with you. You've gone to the greatest length possible to offer us complete and total forgiveness in you. Now let's take the cup. Peel back that little tab. It represents Jesus' shed blood for you. It reminds us of the power we have in Christ. I'd say this. Maybe you've been having a hard time forgiving yourself for something. There's things that are in your past that have been covered in darkness and no one else has seen them because you've held them in darkness. Let's ask today for Jesus to help you forgive yourself as he's forgiven you if you're in Christ. Some of you, you're having a really hard time forgiving somebody else. They have hurt you deeply. You didn't deserve it. But sin stinks. And the blood reminds us what Jesus did when he died and he rose again, that there's nothing too difficult for God. That he in you can help you to forgive. He can free you from the pain that's been inflicted upon you. And he wants to do that. See, Jesus is our pattern and our power for forgiveness. So call on him to do in you and through you what you just haven't been able to do on your own. So Jesus, help us to live in forgiveness and to offer forgiveness. It is the the meta-narrative of the Gospels is that you're not counting people's sins against them and that therefore we're in Christ not supposed to be counting people's sins against them. That we leave that to you. We leave it to you. Your word says you're going to deal with it. That's up to you, however you do that. But Lord, what you want for us is freedom. Freedom from sin. And part of that we know has to do with forgiving ourselves. And part of it has to do with forgiving others. And so Lord, we look to your power. To you to do in us, through us, what we cannot do on our own. And this, the cup reminds us of your power that nothing is too difficult for you. So hold that, that for unforgiveness up in your mind. Hold that up. Unforgiveness towards yourself. Unforgiveness towards someone else. Hold it up. And hand it to Jesus. Let him wrap his arms around you today. Tell you that he's got you. He's holding you and he's going to carry you through. Friends, let's partake of the cup together. Receiving the reality of the power of Christ who lives in us to do in us and through us what we cannot do on our own. Friends, I'd encourage you, as, a, as Pastor Mitch comes on up, I'd encourage you to sit with Jesus as long as you need to today. This is some deep stuff, some hard stuff. Some of you just need to sit with Jesus for a while as Pastor Mitch is playing. Take as long as you need. 
If you do want prayer, our prayer team will be up here to pray with you this morning. If you need prayer for a particular, they'll be here to pray with you. Um, We'd love to do that. But once you feel dismissed by the Lord, encourage us to quietly make your way out of the sanctuary. Go hang out in the cafe, drink some coffee with somebody, give them a big hug, tell them you love them, you're glad to be with them today. Then take, walk from this place then in the joy of sins forgiven as you have confessed and repented. So I just pray this while we stand together. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen, friends. Spend time just with the Lord. Kneel, sit. Come kneel up here if you want. Our prayer team will pray for you if you need anything. Otherwise, just quietly make your way out and then have a wonderful day in Jesus.